Hola, hola, Charlito. Charlito. Hola, Charlie. That's how life goes. It's always something. Johnny, Johnny boy. (laughs) What's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I mean, besides everything, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I can't complain. Just, uh, you know, getting used to this whole virtual thing, working from home, trying to, you know, run to the post office on time before they close, running out of ink, calling people on two phones at the same time. You've been, who've been calling on two phones at the same time? Well, you know, a lot of folks are working from home, right? So if you need to get to right. someone, whether it's a court personnel or whether it's Uh, someone at an office you're rolling the dice because you don't know if they're going to pick up you don't know if they're taking a shower i don't uh, know you're trying to catch people on their phone and then when they when they do pick up you hear the screaming toddler in the background you know their girlfriend on the phone or their spouse on the phone so it's just a different kind of vibe man it's a crazy reality we're we're living through right now it's all a bit unreal yeah, it, it's, it I, feel, I feel like we're all still in denial, frankly. Right. Yeah. You know, it's I like not really setting in with a lot of people. It's not. It's not. And it's weird because you don't even know what the what the proper protocol is. Today, I was on a court appearance and, you know, and I still, despite the fact that I'm probably wearing boxers underneath, you know, I come through with the, with mm-hmm. the tie, with the button down shirt, with the blazer. Mm-hmm. Right. You would have like a prosecutor just on his way somewhere like just driving in a t-shirt oh my god doing the conference and you're like what is going on and sometimes it's the judge sometimes the judge is like on his couch you know just talking about you know um how how the defendant is probably looking at some real time i don't know it's just weird it just kind of goes to show you that the you know these are all just costumes we put on you know these are there there's a certain ceremony associated with it and you know, there's nothing special about a suit except for all of our associations with it. It's like, that's what dressing up means right. in our culture. Right. But you don't need to be wearing a suit to be a lawyer, right? Just exactly. like the judge doesn't need to be wearing a, what do you call this? A robe. A robe. A robe. A robe. Yeah. But there is something about, we, we, I think we've internalized what, what we wear signifies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, because I've been working from home for years before any of this happened. It's been very funny watching people kind of grapple with it. I will not wear pajamas. Mm-hmm. If I like, if I want to get work done, I put on pants, mm-hmm. I put on jeans, right. which just sounds ridiculous, right. but you're setting yourself up for relaxation mode. But what you're it, putting the sweatpants was it on, always like at that? least I found. Was it always like that? Like in the beginning? No, I had to d- were you wearing sweatpants? No, I had to learn that. Exactly. I had to find that out. Yeah, so so you had that, yeah. you know, you had that memory, that muscle of of, of experience. So you were able mm-hmm. to probably uh, best navigate this while other folks were, you know, eating five times a day just because they were home, not shaving. Mm-hmm. You know, that does something to you. A nice shave really, you know, can improve yeah. your mood. Learned that the hard way, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know? We've learned a lot of things the hard way this year, haven't we? we I mean, coming into this, 
it was very interesting. Everyone migrating to working from home and then coming to me and saying, I don't know how you did it. How do you do it? Work from home. And I'm like, well, first of all, in the before times, if I wanted to go to a coffee shop, I'd go to a coffee shop. If I wanted to, if I wanted to change a scenery, you know, there isn't all this emotional baggage that goes with stepping out the front door in before all of this. Uh, so I think that's really lost in the conversation. There's nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different kind of working from home. You have a co-working space. What about the co-working space? Oh, no, I was just saying you have options. If you're truly a remote worker, you have options. You can go to a coffee shop, go get a bite to eat. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you feel like it, drive to another city and work. If you feel like Mm -hmm. it, you know, go visit a friend and work from their house. You know, that's what's so nice about it is you have that flexibility. Now, you don't have that flexibility. So you're literally just stuck at home unless you're, I mean, unless you're going outdoors or something like that. You know, I was talking to this fashion designer the other day and she was talking about how she's lost so much work. Right. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, because people aren't going anywhere, but also so much of what you purchase is to, is to look good whenever you're going to like an event, whether it's a wedding, whether it's a party, you know, look, I get it. Some people just like to wear nice shit, even if they're home. Right. But, you know, I would argue mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, like you predict, like, okay, like in two months, like I'm going to go to this event and I want to look nice. Let me cop this. Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to trial. And I'm going to be uh, in front of a jury for two weeks. Let me make sure that I have enough suits. Um, you know, all of that just, you know, suit mm-hmm. supply hasn't seen me in the last eight months. Right. And why would they? Why would they? Uh-huh. And in fashion, you know, I always thought that fashion is supposed to reflect, you know, the culture, right? Like. If you're a minimalist, your fashion would probably reflect a minimalist aesthetic, right? If you were like out there and like just an out there kind of dude, your your clothing will reflect an out there kind of like personality, right? Like you're probably wearing bright shit, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I don't think, you know, this this year, the the, the somber tone of this year. You know, I don't think it encourages a diverse desire for different types of fashion, man. Maybe it's me, but I feel like most people just want to wear like fucking dark shit, man. Some existential clothing, you know, just all black. (laughs) Right, right. Dress like the existentialists. It just goes to show you in dressing up however you choose to dress up is there's a very real component, I think, that puts you in a mode because you associate those clothes with a certain activity. There's that. But beyond that, it's signaling. That's all it is. You're signaling. So it can be the quality of the clothing you're wearing, or it's a brand. Mm -hmm. You're signaling uh, a certain attainment. You're signaling a certain profession. You're signaling a certain cultural cachet. You know, oh, where'd you get that? Oh, you know, it's this designer. You haven't heard of them. Where'd you get those shoes? Oh, they're limited edition. You know, I had to, you name it. So much of it is just signaling your, your position in the hierarchy or it's signaling your understanding of, of culture. And we're, it's not, we're all part of it. I, I don't know. I think some people definitely 
who are more immersed in fashion, spend more time thinking about it than others. But um, yeah, I have friends who are sneaker heads, for example, and that hasn't stopped. I mean, they're still collecting sneakers. Yeah. But I've been reaching out to some yeah. friends because I told myself that I was only going to allow myself to cop some Yeezys after the election, as long as I, mm-hmm. you know, I knew that he didn't really have an effect on the result, you know, and, um, oh. you know, so I told myself, let me I hold see. off. So I'm probably going to cop those. Speaking of fashion, though, like I see that you're coordinating back there with your with your place, man. You got the nice button down, oh, you know, matching the walls. The tones. Yeah, I'm just. This is just me signaling to your audience that I, I'm a put together guy. I see. I see. And I, I'm with it. I see. I, I know how to put together a, an ensemble. My my entire life outside of this frame, my life is a complete mess. Mm-hmm. I like this shirt. I don't know. Yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> said I like this shirt. I don't know. It's nice. Yeah, it is nice. I man. like this shirt. It is nice. I'm 100 wearing sweatpants now. After ranting about you have to wear pants to right. be serious, like, well, come know. on, it's nighttime. I'm, I'm in sweatpants mode. But um, man, how are you doing, bro? Like, this is a uh, an interesting past five, six months. Like, how are you coping? It's been. I'm I'm up and down. I guess. I think at the start of this pandemic, when there was a lot of uncertainty, I think uncertainty is one of the major drivers of anxiety. Mm. You know, we don't know what's happening. And like the picture was still very unclear uh, cases. You know, we're in Seattle, so I don't, it seems like years ago, but Seattle was where uh, they had the first deaths mm-hmm. in the U.S. and they had the first confirmed infection. The first confirmed case was just outside of Seattle. So we were locked down it was pretty wild. It wasn't a government order, but there was a week in March where, or even before that, I think it was the last week of February, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, they were all like, go ahead, work from home. Right. And the streets were empty. It was crazy because that's hundreds of thousands of employees were talking. Right. And it's been like that ever since. But yeah, I think... I think the first month when things became really serious, I think we spent the first month just mourning all of the like hope and plans we had mm. for the year. Yeah. Were there like weddings a lot that you of, couldn't go to, anniversaries, yep, birthdays? Yep. yep. I mean, this, this the tickets were already bought yeah. is the oh, shitty man. part. But yes, yeah, so, you know, my great uncle who I was very close to passed away last year and we were going to have a memorial for him in Chicago. That's canceled. That was going to be in May. Uh, my wife's best friend was getting, had a wedding planned in Tuscany and we were going there in May. That was, I mean, Italy was an absolute shit show. We were watching all that go down. We were like, I don't think the wedding's happening. Right. Uh, we were going to go to Nepal this Mm. year. We had, thankfully, we were going to buy the tickets, and then I was kind of reading the news, and I'm like, do you think this coronavirus thing is going to reach Nepal? And we're like, mm, maybe let's maybe let's see. Let's let's give it a couple of weeks and see. I'm so glad we didn't buy those tickets. But we were going to go to Nepal. We are going to, so, yeah. So you're talking and, about and more maybe than four, that. four vacations or, you know, four mini vacations. You can't get that mad. At the end of the day, you know, I, you know, there are people out there losing their lives, their livelihoods. There are people out there with permanent lung damage. There are people out there 
who, I mean, you read crazy stories, people who lose all their kids, or yeah. people like kids who lose both their parents. So, I mean, it's perspective is everything, right? So what? I can't go to Tuscany. Fine. You know, my parents are safe. I have my health. My, you know, my wife is safe. Right. You know, my family, thank, thank God. Uh, no one in my family has gotten it yet. But it's out there now, man. We found out today, I live in a very small building. It's just four apartments. And we found out today that one of our neighbors uh, tested positive in our building. So literally, like, not even 20 yards from me, there's someone who's positive right now. That happened to me. So it and that that shook me. Yeah. In your building. So, you know, I go downstairs. It shook me. I I go downstairs and I'm talking to we have, you know, like this doorman, you know, not to, not to brag about that. Right. We're still trying to make it. That's cool. But um, anyway, that's fine. Um, that's smooth. All right. So <laughs> weird flex. All right. Um, so I'm there. No, it's a totally legitimate flex. <laughs> so you're talking to the doorman. So I'm talking to him and then I see one of my neighbors. Right. And I, and I see her, you know, most of the time, like in the summertime, she was really just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like we struck up a conversation about a few things and, uh, and she's just there and she's talking and, and I was like, Oh, by the way, cause she had asked me a question and I had the answer for it. So I was like, Oh, by the way, I figured that out. And it was this, that, and the third. And, and she told me like from six feet away, Oh, Oh, I, you know, I tested positive. I can't, you know, just, just don't approach me. And I was like, you tested positive. Don't approach you. You're in, you're in a damn lobby. You should be. What are you doing out and about? What are you doing out and about using these elevators? Cause you don't live on the first floor. <clears throat> You know, and it's like, okay, all right, so I really have to be careful because people are really walking out of their homes. That's insane. Did you hear about uh, a couple that were arrested uh, trying to fly from Hawaii to flying to the mainland? mainland. And and they had tested positive. Or vice versa. No, they were leaving Hawaii. Were they headed to Hawaii? From Hawaii. Leaving Hawaii. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, they were arrested at the airport. They were arrested at the airport for because endangerment they because they lied and they were putting other people in fear of uh, death or, or sickness or illness. So, yeah, or illness that can lead to death. Folks need to really do the work to understand that it's really just not about you. You know, everyone has different immune systems. What you think may not be so serious for you can kill someone, you know? We're being put in an impossible position by our government and by public health. I mean, mostly our government is putting us in an impossible position because at the same time, this is at the same time that they're saying, yeah, outdoor dining is open. Go, go eat, go, go spend money. Yeah. The stores are open. Go spend money. Sure. Fly to Hawaii. Go get on a plane. At the same time that they're telling you that they're sort of leaving it up to you to, to make that risk calculation. You know, my wife is an epidemiologist she stu- she has her PhD in immunology. We're not getting on a plane. Are you kidding me? Right. Why? What is unless it's an emergency? Why would I get on a plane with a hundred strangers? Mm. Why? That's crazy. That's not. You know, you can go buy a plane ticket. So people are doing it. They're leaving it up to you. Right. They're leaving it up to you. You know, fifty million people traveled for Thanksgiving. Here's the thing: is I think. One of the strengths of our country is, in a in a sense, is this comes with a lot of caveats. But one of the strengths of this country is, you know, individualism, and we're seeing that crash up against the need for collective action. And the need for collective action is 
imperative in a public health emergency. Right. And we're not getting clear guidance from public health officials. We're not getting clear guidance from the government. And I understand that it's an incredibly difficult calculus, right? Because you shut everything down, the economy crashes. So it's an impossible situation. But I remember there was a period of time here in Seattle where they opened up restaurants to 25% indoor seating capacity. And I'm like, that's fucking crazy. Right. You, you, what? You want me to go sit indoors with strangers with their masks off? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Incurable disease. Like you're walking past people going and you have your mask on. Uh, but as soon as you sit down, you take your mask mm-hmm. off, right? And um, I also think about these these business owners where, where they're like, you know, they're they're losing their shit because they're actually losing their livelihoods, right? And it's like, yeah, I get it. I know. I get it. It's it's a tough, it's a tough situation. Um, you know, some of my friends are upset because, you know, they were upset when the gym was closed, like really upset. You know, they're calling, you know, Cuomo dictator, the governor of uh of New Jersey, a dictator. And, uh-huh. you know, it's like, you know what? Yeah, but I don't know, man. Like, I'm on the fence. I can see both sides. But right now, it's really not just about you. It's about it's about the folks that you can affect. And it's really about you as well, because you don't know if, you know, when was the last time you went to the doctor? How do you know that you don't have an underlying condition? There's so many older folks I mean, that are fading away. So to contrast, this is a very different scenario because we know everyone in our building, but we got a very long, detailed text from our neighbor today saying, hey, just want to let you know, I tested positive here. And this, our neighbor has been so careful. They've been doing grocery delivery. They didn't go see anyone for Thanksgiving. They haven't been going to, like, they've been doing, and they still got it, mm. you know? So it just goes to show you. What, but did they, but they say they, how they To their credit, they, they told us. We suspect. I don't want to, I don't right, want right, to really, right, right. but like, okay. I don't want to really, like, get too into the details, but I, they have family. So okay. I, I suspect, I suspect. They got they, it after Thanksgiving? Through a, through a close, hard to say. Okay. Kind of freaked me out. Found that out today. I was like, this is not a big building. I mean, thankfully there's, we, it's an old building. So we have radiators. So it's not like there's centralized air or anything like that, mm. but it's, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, we're having 2000 something. We're having like a nine 11 every day. Think about that. Is it? Damn. 9/11 and it's just day? like, let's go. It's like more than a nine 11, like every day or it's, we're getting to that point. And it's like, Meh, I think I'm going to go to Hawaii. What? It's like, I think we're like, everyone's tired. I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of it. Sick of um, worrying about it. I'm sick of, you know, every, you know, I go for runs now and I wear a mask the whole time on my run. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Try, uh, try, try lifting whether, some heavy weight with a mask on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I'm so sick of it. Everyone's sick of it, but it's, but like I said before, we're being put in this impossible position where you have business owners who aren't getting any support from the government. The people, but you also people have people getting, who legitimately. The, the people aren't getting support from the government. You know, we had one stimulus check exactly that was given, which exactly. which I think I find that to be. I, you know, I don't even want to say criminal because I don't. You know, I still haven't thought it through as far as the government's role in, in all this, you know, I, I, maybe I've, I, I've had thought that it is criminal. It was a glimpse 
as to how life can be, you know, if you rely on this government. You know, I, I had higher standards, not that high, but I had higher standards for this for this country, for this government. And boy, did they, um, I feel, let the people down. You know, the way they handled it, you know, yeah. the way uh, they didn't help, you know, folks that lost their jobs. You know, even New York, remember with the whole 9-11 thing, like those those folks that were out there digging bodies, you know, cleaning up the the the, the rubble, you know, they got sick and New York wasn't trying to give them any money. You know, the, I mean, the federal government wasn't trying right. to give them any money. Like it's it's sickening, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like every man for himself. I hate to say it. It's very disappointing. But aside from that, Seattle was getting somewhat busy, right? Antifa was shutting shit down, you know, with the government out there. So they say, <laughs> how was that, man? How was living it got through very that? Very interesting over here. How close? Pretty close. When the George Floyd protests started happening, there were very large marches that I think were peaceful during the day and then got a bit intense, got a bit, mm. I don't want to say violent, but there was definitely looting and stuff happening downtown. We joined in a couple of the protests. You know, we did a we went to a couple marches. That was the first time leaving the house in like two months or something, three months. When was that? June. So it, we'd been not doing anything for three months. It felt very sketchy, frankly, to be in close quarters with strangers, even outside, even everyone wearing masks. So I live in a neighborhood called Capitol Hill in Seattle, and it sounds like a place where protests part, would happen. Yeah, I would say I don't know how to what neighborhood I would compare it to in New York. Maybe that's a bad. It's kind of like the Lower East Side, okay. East Village of Seattle, but that's maybe maybe that's a bad comparison. It's especially especially further down the hill from us. It's it's pretty much the center of the counterculture in Seattle. So you have a lot of live music venues and bars and restaurants and. Uh, it's, it's like the gay neighborhood of Seattle, more or less. And you have the East Precinct. The police precinct mm. is right on the stretch called Pike. There's two streets that are on parallel to each other called uh, Pike and Pine. And the East Precinct is right over there. So the protesters, and this was not a march that we participated in, but the protesters would march to the police precinct. And I think the intention was to march past the precinct. And every time they would get close, the police would set up. I just a huge caveat that I am definitely not an expert on this. This is just my understanding of of what happened. Uh, So the protesters would try and march past or to the police precinct and the police about a block away would set up a barricade. And then there'd be the standoff between the police and the protesters and night after night, the protesters would get tear gassed mm. every night. And we're probably where I live is probably about a 15 minute walk to where that was happening. And every night while this was going on, so you have the pandemic, you can't go anywhere. And on top of everything else, people are getting tear gassed every night, 15 minutes away. There's police helicopters like thudding over our building every night for probably two weeks and very, I mean, very stressful. And then I guess there was huge public outcry about the tear gas because the tear gas was drifting into buildings. Uh, You know, people were having 
coughing attacks. Um, they, the police were uh, shooting. One woman had, a, I think, a flashbang, some kind of uh, crowd suppressant device. I think it was a flashbang shot and hit her in the chest and it stopped her heart. What? And thankfully there were medics, volunteer medics on the scene who were skilled enough to get her heart going again. And she survived. She was like, okay, which is unbelievable. But that kind of shit was going on and right. And the mayor was here, you know, people were furious. Right. Uh, and the, the protest just got bigger and bigger because the, it was just you every night you'd go on Twitter and you'd see videos of people just getting tear gassed. Right. And I don't know what the line of reasoning was, but eventually the, the police just abandoned the East precinct. Mm. So it was like, it was like, okay, we're not going to tear gas people anymore. And then the next night they tear gas people again. Mm. And then they just, something happened. I some decision was made and they just boarded up the East precinct. So like, did the mayor left? Did the mayor forced to reside? Resign? No, people were, people were, people were pissed. The, uh, the chief of police did resign eventually, but it wasn't during that time. It was a little bit later, but yeah, they did, you know, no, I'm not took sure. control of the precinct, right? They, they ran in there and no, they, it was, it stayed boarded up. So they boarded it up and fenced it off and basically were like, fine protesters, you handle it. That's when you started, you started seeing all the news about the Chaz or the chop or however you want to call it. And, what was the we Chaz? walked over what was there. The Chaz and the chopper. What was that about? So, so Chaz, they, they first started calling it Chaz and then they changed the name. Uh, it was the Capitol Hill autonomous zone. And then they changed it to Capitol Hill occupied protest. Mm. And this is, I think when things really went off the rails and of course I, easy for me to sit here and say that I was not involved in right, right. like, I was not an activist on the scene, you know, in any way we walked out we again we're in the middle of a pandemic right. i'm not trying to hang out with a bunch of strangers right now right, 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 right. so we walked over there and kind of checked it out and it was a beautiful day in june i want to say and i will say i'd never seen more black and brown people hanging out people of color hanging out in that neighborhood before and everyone people were people were out there throwing frisbees and it was it was actually there was a feeling of kind of relief after all this tension. Right. When I went over there, it was really beautiful. Right. There was a lot of public art. It was, free it was concerts. actually when we first went over there, yep. There were free concerts or free movies and not a police officer in sight. And, and they painted that huge black lives matter. It was very colorful. They painted on, I don't know if it was Pike or pine. I always get them mixed up uh, just South of Cal Anderson park. And it was beautiful. And we were like, wow, this is great. And then things started to get a little bit dicey. Mm. Uh, people started getting shot over there. Damn. Uh, businesses would call the police and the police wouldn't respond. Of course not. Or that was at least what I alleged, you know, right. the yeah. police just wouldn't go at there. At that point. And people started getting shot. Yeah. People started getting killed. And it's easy for me to sit here as just a, someone not really involved one way or the other besides, you know, obviously sympathize very much with the the people who are getting tear gassed every night, but um, there's a middle way right. where you don't just abandon the neighborhood. That seems extreme. And it's, it, it, it almost seems like they had a point to prove, which is, I don't think it's controversial to say, you know, if you remove law enforcement completely from the picture, then I don't know, 
and exactly what you might expect to happen did happen eventually. And the, the police did, they did move in eventually and they, they, sw- they swept the area, reoccupied the East precinct. And now when you go over there, uh, they, they left the black lives matter. There's these, uh, like cones or pylons around it. So you can, the street is open to traffic again. You can drive over there, but they've blocked it off and mural is still there or whatever you want to call it. Right. And, uh, but now there's this like 12, 10, 12 foot high concrete wall around the East precinct, which is crazy to me. I just feel like it's necessary to emphasize my total ignorance of the matter, but it seems like a total, there's no middle way. There's no meeting in the middle. There's no, yeah, of course. there Look, doesn't seem to be much of a dialogue. It's like, what do they think they're going to do? Like burn down the precinct that didn't have, you had protesters in the area with no police presence and the protesters were actively defending the precinct, right. keeping people from yeah, that's the going problem. in there. The, the problem is that you have well-intentioned <laughs> protesters and then you have other people that, you know, try to hijack it and, you know, they, they do it for their own reasons and, not having any police presence obviously just makes it not necessarily a war zone, but reckless should just happen because there's no sense of control. And that's, and that's sad because, you know, I'm sure the initial, the, the movement of those protesters were again, well-intentioned and uh, their voices were, were heard loud and clear. There was no plan when it came to what would happen if the police department completely abandoned us. Um, Well, right. It, it, it kind of seems like just a fuck you, really, mm-hmm. which is not just about Seattle. Like, do you see itself? Do you see Seattle going back to where it was soon? Like, I, you know, I know COVID is still, you know, like you mentioned, and also like I've read, it, it's really like the numbers are still really high out there. And you would expect people to be leaving the city, but I don't mm-hmm. see that happening. Is that is that? something that you agree with you being on the ground in Seattle? Like, do I agree that there has not been an exodus or I have seen, so we live on the edge of basically where we live. It starts transitioning from apartment buildings into big single family homes is right where we live in Capitol Hill. And these homes are never on the market. Mm. These we're talking million, two million, five million dollar homes. And I will say during the pandemic, I've seen more houses in the neighborhood go up for sale than ever, like 10x, so many more, but they're getting bought. Someone's buying them, you know, and my understanding is they're going for record prices. So I don't think people are deterred from moving to Seattle. I think there has been a spike in property crime, but you know, you do see, I think this is the case and I have not obviously been anywhere else since this started, but I think most major cities have become pro the, the benefit of living in a major city has evaporated for a lot of people. Why, why pay all that rent? Why live on top of everyone else mm-hmm. when you don't get the culture, you don't get the food, you mm-hmm. don't get the, you, you can't even see people. Yeah. Uh, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? That's why, so I think, I think, that's why I think people are living, leaving New York City. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for that exact reason, you know, and I know New York City is 
the toughest or one of the the toughest city to live in, uh, but people still find it worthwhile because of those other things. Um, you know, going to the you know. I mean, I love my time in New York. You know, going to yeah. Broadway. You know, if you if you do that, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> those things aren't able to get done now. Yeah. And yet these uh, these rents are are still high. You know, even though even though people are still can still live without uh, you know the threat for now of being evicted because there's a moratorium. Um, but you know, once January hits, I don't know what that's going to have. I'm sure it's going to be a devastating blow to the housing market because you know the courts are going to be flooded with housing court cases. Mm-hmm. Um, landlords are losing their I shit out here. Losing their shit. But going back to Seattle, though, um, it, it, it's funny yeah. because, you know, we talk about what happened and, you know, with the protests. And it appears like from folks that don't live there that Seattle is a pretty progressive city. Would you would you classify it as a very progressive city? For sure. But, it's but, probably what I would I say. Yeah. Seattle is a very progressive city. It's also very, it's becoming an increasingly expensive city. Uh, there's a lot of tech money here. Yeah. I mean, you've got Amazon, which is huge. Uh, when we first moved here, we, we were renting a tiny shoebox of an apartment in, uh, East village off of second street, sixth floor walk up, tiny, 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 tiny. And when we were looking at places in Seattle without having done any, we got probably two to three times the space, but you're still paying a lot. It's expensive. Yeah. So I would say the Seattle is definitely in the midst of a, of a housing crisis and a homeless, huge homeless problem. Right. You know, and you know, I wonder if, if some of that has to do with the fact that there's no state taxes in, in Seattle, Washington. There's no, there's no income tax in Washington state. Income tax. Thank you. That's right. right. So, yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I was telling you. That's what I was telling you. Well, right. The state is incredibly progressive in so many ways, but we have probably the most regressive income tax regime in the country. You know, you've, I I should probably look up the exact number. It's, we have like a 10% We have very high sales tax, but it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or homeless, that's what you're paying. Exactly. But no income tax, which, hey, for me, moving from New York, I felt, I was like, wow, paying a lot less taxes all of a sudden. So, but, but just to be clear, are we talking about state income tax or are we talking about local state. income tax? Okay. Wow. State. There's no, there is an additional, Seattle really gets you. There's, there's a city tax. There's, you know, if you order food on an app, there's like an additional Seattle surcharge on top of a, pretty much we just go pick up our food ourselves now. It's so, it's so much more expensive if you, if you order it through an app and that, you know, that's their prerogative, but yeah, the sales tax is very high because they, there's no income tax. Mm. They do have real, they have uh, real estate taxes here or uh, what's the word? Yeah. But it is ironic that you have some of the world's richest people. You have Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates live right across the lake over in, uh, over on the east side, and there's no income tax mm. in Washington. And in fact, it's in the constitution of the state. It's in the state constitution. It is, and I think what I was going to say is that the city is very progressive in a lot of ways, and it's it's 
It's one of the few places I've ever, it's the only place I've ever lived where I sometimes find myself to the right of the conversation that's happening, you know, where I'll, I'll be hanging out with some people and they'll be like, the stock market shouldn't exist, period. And I'm like, at all? Well, how do you, I mean, like there is a role for, I, I wouldn't say it shouldn't exist, period. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. That is that is a very I feel like people who say that don't understand how the stock market works. The but Seattle Times reported I, Washington State Supreme Court denies Seattle's bid for income tax on mm, wealthy yep. households. Yeah, that happened while we were here, I think. So they wanted to tax people making more than a million, I want to say. It was something like that. Maybe it was maybe it was lower than that. But that's a lot of people. The other thing about Seattle is that it's a it's quote unquote a major city, but if you look at a map of the zoning, it's almost all single family zoning. Mm. So we have this massive housing crisis in Seattle, but it's really just strips of streets that are zoned for multifamily or for apartment buildings to, mm. for the density that you, I mean, there's no more land. If you look mm. at a map of Seattle, you have to the West, you have the Puget sound and to the East, you have Lake Washington and it's it's on a it's basically an isthmus. There's nowhere to sprawl. You know, you, of course you have the suburbs, but there's nowhere really to sprawl. You got to densify. Right. It's crazy to to see how the land is being used here, and there's a housing crisis, and there's huge homeless encampments in Seattle, and yet messing with that zoning at all. I, I totally get from a homeowner's perspective. I totally get it, but. I'm sorry, you live in a major city, right. you know, right. there, there's nowhere for people to live. What are you going to do? So you have these houses where maybe two people live in them. You could put a, I see both sides of it, yeah. but the, the, the major problems in Seattle, the major, the biggest problem is probably homelessness, I would say, mm -hmm. which is as a consequence of the, the housing crisis. You know, major cities like uh, but, San Francisco as well, you know, major homeless crisis. Too. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think uh, yeah. hopefully uh, this next administration does something about that and putting pressure on these uh, big cities to, to to counter that problem. You know, uh, you know, it's not necessarily being socialist, but you know, you got to do what you got to do to ensure that even even our most vulnerable are protected and given adequate like, yeah. health care shelter. I think we're all better as a country when we protect our most vulnerable man but i mean i'm gonna stop giving a speech like i'm running for office you my brother maybe, maybe you should <laughs> nah, man. me so i know you you do a lot for self-care man you were the first brother that actually told me uh or, or spoke to me i should say about doing yoga right and and how really? much yeah you were the first one man this was like what i was the first one we're talking about like four or five years ago i mean you know the first person to to really talk about it in a way mm -hmm. that made me interested in it like you were like oh like it's it's great i lost so much weight but i'm also a lot more focused it relaxes me it does so much for me are you still doing yeah. yoga i have not been doing as much yoga mostly because Obviously, it feels like it takes a lot of mental energy of just to live these days. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, my wife and I will do yoga occasionally. What I was doing in New York was uh, I was doing Bikram yoga. Yeah. And I know Bikram has come under. He, there's been a whole scandal about him. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah. But he, there was a 
there was some kind of, there was a documentary about, I think he's some kind of sexual predator or yeah, something, but yeah. And you know, and, which I found out later and, and the, but, the uh, administration of yoga or, you know, the, the higher ups had to apologize, you know, they took accountability. Mm-hmm. They came up with a plan, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to hear these victims out. Yeah. They had to do a whole rebranding. Yeah. So, so I, Apart, I mean, I obviously never met the man. I I saw this documentary came out a couple of years ago, and I was like, kind of aghast. The practice itself, I was, I had a fr- I, there, there was a friend of mine who saw a Groupon, and he dragged me along with him. It is, it's in a hundred and five degree room. It's like a hundred percent humidity. Mm-hmm. Have you done Bikram yoga or I hot have, yoga? I have. I, you know, I've liked it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I've seen. Okay. Okay, so you know what I'm talking yeah, about. I I used to be a distance swimmer. Mm. So in high school and college, I swam uh, the 500 and the 1,000. So that's 20 lengths of the pool or 40 lengths of the pool. And those were my workouts. So, you, you know, in a typical swim practice, you're doing 6,000, 8,000 yards. You're doing some of the hardest practices. You're swimming five miles. You're swimming six miles. So I was used to a kind of intensity and clarity that you get from really pushing yourself. I had not experienced that because I quit swimming after my freshman year of college. I had not really experienced that intensity and clarity until I took a a hot yoga class. Mm. And it's very intense. You know, the Bikram classes were 75 minutes, 90, there were 90 minutes. Yeah. And I, I was amazed at how to bring it back. I got very, very into Bikram yoga in New York. I was doing it three to four times a week, every week. And I lost a ton of weight. I, whenever I was feeling, it was like my church, you know, I'm not, I'm not a a religious person, but I would go. And if I was feeling stressed, if I was feeling anxious, New York can really grind you down sometimes going to class it's silent you're in front of a mirror you're just pouring sweat and at some point you just go somewhere else and you just there's a certain clarity that descends on you and i think that that was before i got into meditation but i think that opened the door to me to being interested in meditation because there's a lot of overlap in that mental state that you can get into when you're deep in a yoga class. And, and, and really it's about mindfulness, but also about the, the illusion of the ego, your ego kind of goes away and you're just, you're just doing the postures as the, as the instructor tells you, and I, I really enjoyed that. And I continued practicing in Seattle, actually, when we moved out here until, and this is going to, this is, this is where the, the, the major caveat comes in for, for any of your listeners considering this is uh, we, ha- we got an espresso machine and I had a little bit too much coffee and then went to a Bikram class here. And there is a posture you do where you, you basically, you arch, you arch backward while you're standing and it's the, it's part of the first sequence. So you're in the class and I, I, you do everything twice. You do every posture twice in Bikram yoga. 
And I went back the first time and came down and I was like, wow, this is going to be a real intense class. That was the thought I had. I'm like, this is going to be a good one. You were dehydrated. And then we, I was, I was definitely underestimating how dehydrated I was. So I went back for the second time and my mind started wandering and I was, I, I like went somewhere else and I was like, it was like I was in a dream. Mm. And then I woke up and I was on the floor Whoa. and everyone in the class was standing over me and they were like, and my head hurts so bad because mm. I must've just, I just blacked out and just probably banged. And I was like, floor. yeah, I just like, I don't remember. I just blacked out. And that was the last time you went and, to do yoga. <laughs> and I, it was not the way I did. I did not go for about a year afterwards. Mm. And then I, I did go a couple more times later, but yeah. uh, I actually got a lot more into running. So I've been doing a lot of running Yeah, and that gets me there. Yeah. I, and yeah. meditating. Yeah. So, so, you know, with the yoga thing, you know, I, I did, I was doing yoga cause I had issues with my lower back and, and also I was a bit overwhelmed with work. And so I needed a place where I can just focus on something other than that. And uh, yoga provided mm-hmm. that for me. Uh, there was one time where I was sick and I had gotten mm-hmm. better or at least I thought I got better, but I didn't have the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I guess I was sweating because I had sweated out of fever like days before. Um, so I, you know, I go mm-hmm. to this yoga class and, uh, you know, what happened to you almost happened to me, you know, it was just, I, I, okay. it was unbearable. Yep. And I was losing, you know, I was yep. losing, I was, fa- I was fading away. I can, I can sense myself just fading away. Um, so I had to make mm-hmm. a, a quick decision to just sit there Indian style yep. and, and just say, you know what, I'm gonna catch this out real quick. But, um, but talking about ego death, yeah. You, yeah. you recommended to me, um, actually, no, you didn't recommend, you actually gifted me um, a book by Alan Watts. Remember that book? Yeah. Yeah. The book on the taboo against knowing who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good book, man. It was a, yeah. you know, I wasn't expecting it. First of all, you don't expect much from a book that's titled the book. Yeah, man. That, that author really, what, what can I say? Forced to Alan Watts yeah. to question, you know, the illusion of self and uh, the self as a separate ego housed in the bag of skin. You know, I always like that description. Yep. Uh, yep. Confronting the universe and the physical objects that are alien yep. to it. So, uh, yeah, man, great book. Thank you for gifting me that book. Of course. Yeah, it really had an effect on me. I think I read it at the perfect time, too, because... I have, I've been very resistant, I think throughout my life to, I would say not so much anymore, I think, but very resistant to however you want to define spirituality. I think I've been very resistant to that. I've been very much a, not so much anymore, but a materialist. And I mean that in the, in the philosophical sense where it's like, um, I've never much believed in a, in a soul you know, or, or, or in the Christian, in the Judeo Christian sense or, or that kind of thing. And what I think clicked for me reading this book is that there's this um, split that we make. There's this delineation we make between self and other in and out. That is very much, it's, it's constructed. It's very much 
I think our ego helps us get through the day and it's a very good problem solving machine, but it can also be extremely destructive. Yeah. And there are, and never meditation has probably become more important to me this year than any other year, because you have, you find yourself confronted with this anxiety, this nameless, just worry. What are you going to do? There's nothing to do. You just have to be here with it. Right. You know, there's nothing to do. Your mind keeps trying to solve that problem, but there's no problem to solve. There's just this anxiousness, there's anxiety. And mindfulness meditation has been very helpful. And I am by no, I'm definitely a novice when it comes to meditation. But especially the, you know, the meditation where you're focusing on your breath and you're just, you've meditated, right? Of course, yeah. So you know I've what I'm talking about. I've had to meditate. I've had to meditate in the past mm-hmm. year or so. Uh, I started really meditating yep. about two years ago, but yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, you know, you, know you, you come to, you know, you come to realize that a lot of the, uh, the stresses and the worries that you have really because of this expectation that you have of yourself... Uh, which usually is um, somewhat egotistical. You know, I, you know, understanding that we're a community, understanding that we all think we're different, but we're, we're really not all that different. We all have our ambitions. We all want love, you know? We all, mm-hmm. we all get caught up with the monkey mind, right? Especially in New York or in the bigger cities, right? Where... You know, um, the culture just takes control of what you think about, of what you do on a daily basis. I think that's why being mindful in meditation is so important because you don't want to, you know, I've always feared being at an age or getting to an age where you reflect back and you realize that you spent most of your years chasing shit that at the end of the day didn't really matter much. You know, for whatever reason, you know, and it's, I don't know, that's just me. People may disagree with me, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, especially, especially in the last year, I've learned to like understand that less is more, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like come to grip with my own mortality. I don't, you know, that's the, that's the funny thing about the ego. I feel like it distracts us from like really getting into this idea that one day we will die. Well, it, I feel like the ego keeps you from appreciating the now, the present. Right, right. I feel like that, like, for me, the, the most useful or interesting thing I've learned from meditation, and also we, uh, I've done a couple silent retreats uh, since we moved here, which were very cool. You got, you got to talk and to me about that. I've we, been wanting we can to talk more that. about that. But the, the fundamental thing that I've come away from those experiences with is the idea that we spend so much energy and time focused on the future and the past. And you could be, I mean, you could be with the woman you love observing a beautiful sunset. You could be, in a, you have your health, you're, you're happy, you have everything you want, you're materially successful in your career, and you could still be there ruminating over some mistake that you made. It could be something stupid. You could have taken a wrong turn on your way there, or it could be something huge, but you could like, 
you may as well not even be there. And that happens all the time. We are, it's so hard to break out of that. Uh, being present and appreciating what's in front of you is so hard. It's one of, it, I, I kind of feel like human beings aren't wired for it. We're wired for problem solving. You have to, right. and it, it, you know, in a survival sense, it keeps you alive. It keeps you alive to be looking for stuff to solve. And, but once you're, you know, your needs are taken care of, you're physically safe and you're, you're, there's a time and a place to be problem solving, but to, I think the ego at its worst keeps us from enjoying life worried about the meeting tomorrow or you're right. worried about your career. Am I doing, am I doing the right thing? You're worried about, you're worried about getting sick from this fucking pandemic or you're worried about, you know, you're worried about the election or you're worried about politics. Or you're worried about, and, and the, the list is never ending. You know, it could, it could be anything. And so that has been, and when, when you truly let go of the past and the future and you're just in the present, which is, I think what mindfulness is all about, it does kind of feel like you're losing a sense of self because we identify so strongly with all of our wants, our cravings and aversions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So the silent retreat that uh, my wife and I went on, was very interesting so it was it was just for a weekend it was two days uh some people go on silent retreats for much longer Mm. but the we did a lot of meditating and yoga and they talk a lot about holding space sure sure so holding space and there there's nothing bad or wrong with it it's just an energy that it was pointed out to us and and now, you know, it's kind of in my, my wife, it's kind of in our terminology. It's kind of in our vocabulary when we're talking to each other. Sometimes it was very interesting. So we went to this silent retreat together. And one of the first things our guide told us as a group, you know, they didn't single us out, but as a group, you know, before we started, she said, I know some of you are here as couples, and you're used to holding space for one another. You're used to worrying about the other person. You're used to wanting to make sure their needs are taken care of. You want to, there's nothing wrong with that. But on this retreat, you're going to give each other your, each other space. You're not going to hold space for each other. You're going to try your heart because that's part that's that's part and parcel of that of that ego in a way and there's nothing wrong with that in your day-to-day but that's going to keep you from sinking into that experience right and i had never quite had it put to me that in those terms and so it was very interesting you know my wife we didn't talk to we had a room that we were sharing together and we really made an effort to we we you know we'd go to bed at different times and we'd really try to not you know, kind of avoid each other, frankly, because mm-hmm. you're, and you know, you, you live with your girlfriend and you're, you guys are obviously like holding space for your partner is, is I think it's part of caring for someone, you know, it's important, right. but it was very interesting to have that pointed out in the context of a silent retreat where that is kind of part and parcel of the ego in a way. Mm-hmm. So letting go, it's not enough to like let go of your own, 
kind of worries and fears and anxieties, but also let go of like, you're holding space for this person who you care about. And it's good. It's good to care about that person. There's nothing wrong with it. But when you're sinking into like the silent retreat, Chris and I were talking about it and we were like, maybe in the future we'll, we won't go together. We'll go separately just Mm -hmm. so that, just so that you're, that's not even an issue. But I think the, to get back to the silent retreat overall, you, we spent a lot of time meditating and doing yoga and not talking. And weirdly it was exhausting, just exhausting. You're sitting there focusing on the present moment, right? Right. but you're not thinking you're trying not to think you're trying not you're, you're, you're sitting there just being, you're sitting there, you're trying. So, so, you know so saying? you're saying like, being was exhausting? Like the fact that exhausting. Was it, was it that the time was going slower? Much slower. Time, every, each day felt like three days. Really? It was and, crazy. And, and what, what were the things, I mean, you don't have to share with us everything that came up, but like, what were the things that you, that you feel you would have never thought about if you weren't in a silent retreat? So in between meditation sessions, you're, you're supposed to, you know, jot down a couple of thoughts. And I remember jotting down something that's kind of stuck with me, which is who am I without my worries and fears and wants? Who am I? Because I, st- it was the first time I'd really gotten deep into a meditation. You know, I had tried to meditate before. And I think for many people, including myself, it's very frustrating when you start, even if you're listening to one and they're like, your mind is probably wandering. You're like, damn it. My mind did wander. You're like thinking about something else. And I did have a couple moments where I, I settled into this very profound, like just nothingness. You're just sitting there and it's just, you're almost not even aware that you're in that state. It's a very kind of fragile state that you're in. And then, and then a thought will intrude and it will be like, it, it could be something totally stupid. It'd be like my butt hurts or it could be like, you could be like, I wonder what we're eating tonight. Right. Or, or it could be, it could be, you know, whatever it is. And you're, yeah. and these things intrude. Oh, I hope traffic's not bad on our way back trying to solve problems. There's nothing there to solve. There's no problem there to solve. You're just trying to be and, and constantly kind of, seeing the thought or recognizing the thought, acknowledging, okay, I'm having a thought and like, let it pass. And then, okay, I'm just going to be here now and just be, it's exhausting to just Mm -hmm. sit there, even though it's like, it sounds kind of silly to say it because you're just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. But like, so so what's exhausting. So what would you say that you learned more about, you know, cause I would, I would imagine you just learned a lot more about yourself because you, you start to see, or you start to realize that there are certain patterns that you have, right? That just mm-hmm. instinctually mm-hmm. just come to you. Yep. Yeah. What did what did that tell you about yourself? I think I think it I think it gave me some tools, some very rudimentary tools that I'm still working on, obviously, but it gave me some tools. I think it provides you with some self-awareness mm-hmm. in one way or another. So I still get anxious. Obviously today I got very anxious when I found out our neighbor tested positive for COVID, for example, and I've had, but you recognize it. 
okay, I'm being anxious right now. Why am I being, why am I feeling anxious? Okay. And there's a certain acceptance to it too, where you can, okay, why am I anxious? I'm worried about something happening in the future. Okay. But here I am in the present. I'm here in the present. It hasn't happened yet. If it happens, I'm going to have to deal with it. But here I am in the present and just recognizing that there's this energy you're feeling. And sometimes like that is easier said, easier said than done. You're still, I'm still going to, you know, we went for a long walk uh, earlier this afternoon. Uh, It's been a very atypically sunny week here. So we we were grabbing some sunshine and uh, I curse, you know, my wife could tell I needed to like, go for a walk. I was feeling kind of anxious. So I don't, I'm not sitting here like I'm some kind of guru or anything, but I, I will say, yeah, meditation, silent retreats, that kind of self-examination can definitely give you tools of self-awareness where I may never become a very skilled meditator. I think that's a very, it's a long path. It's difficult. I do, I do meditate a few times a week. I would love for it to be every day. Um, but just recognizing those patterns of energy and just being with them and kind of interrogating them a little bit. Yeah. Like, okay, why, why am I feeling this way? Right. Like I had a friend that did it and and he said that he felt that he was about to go crazy. That he was in a silent retreat. Yeah. In a silent retreat. But this, I think he did a four day silent retreat. So after the third day, it broke him. It broke him. He was like, no, this is crazy. Like I'm thinking about shit, but like, isn't super that intense? Yeah, super interesting. I would love to do it. Listen, I had every intention yeah. of doing it for 2020, and and then this happened. Mm-hmm. You know, but right. um, so so okay. So you finally get a chance to actually express yourself. Are you like vomiting, verbally vomiting, or are you like okay? I don't have to talk now. Like I'm I'm so used to not talking. I don't have to talk. At the end of the silent retreat, so so you. There's a formal, I don't want to call it a ceremony, but at the end of the silent retreat, you break silence. That's what they call it. And you're sitting with strangers and the the leader, the facilitator rings a bell and she goes, okay, you draw numbers and someone has to go first. And, you know, when you're ready, when the, when the bell sounds, you're going to share with these strangers, you know, your experience open-ended, just talk talk about what you're feeling and what you experienced and mm-hmm. the honesty the like raw honesty you you hear from from these total strangers about all of these issues bubbling up and yeah it, it definitely makes you realize how often we open our mouths to say just total bullshit mm. and that is part of it. I think it also makes you appreciate how much speech impinges on your consciousness. Mm. When someone's talking to you there, you know, we take it, we take language 100% for granted. I think a lot of the time it's, it's just human nature, but it's arguably human being superpower. The fact that I can sit here and just make sounds and I can literally put thoughts in your head. That's crazy. Mm. It's, it's, it's invisible to us. It's, it's, very uh something we take for granted 100 percent. but 
you realize the the psychic, you know, the valence that that can take when people are talking to you. It, it can have a huge effect on your mood. Right. And literally, it's just sounds coming at you. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, so would you do it again? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll definitely do it again. A four day. So to be clear, I mean, your friend did a four day silent retreat. Two days was to me was like wild. Right. So I can easily see four days. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is I, I could not stay silent the whole time. I found my, I, I like caught myself saying something to myself, you know, that just came out spontaneously. You realize how much we talk to ourselves right. of course, yeah, in our heads, you know? So there's a lot of I that feel like, too. I feel like when I'm getting, like when I'm getting the most done out of my day, I'm talking to myself. I see myself constantly mm-hmm. pepping myself like, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Oh, mm-hmm. damn. You know, and it's kind of like um, I'm engaged with my thoughts, you know, but for me to say, I can't even, even, you know, I can't even verbalize my engagement with myself, you know, and how, how would I wow. react to that, to that limitation is, is interesting to think about or, or even, you know, something that was very like thought provoking or super interesting that you thought about and then you can't share it with someone. I think that is also mm-hmm. a prop, you know, that would be an expected problem that I feel that I would have because I, you know, like I like to share like, oh, shit, I thought about this. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? Let's talk about that. But it, it, it also teaches you constraint, di- discipline, mm-hmm. right? Helps you organize because then you have to pocket that, put it somewhere and mm-hmm. reserve it for another time. That's what's up, man. Yeah. Was it expensive? Yeah. It wasn't so well, it was a voluntary contribution, which we, we obviously oh, gave more than the suggested amount, but it was really nice. We were in so there's a yoga studio that uh we used to go to. It is it has since gone bankrupt because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. But there was a teacher there who put on this this uh silent retreat and it was in this it was across the mountain it was on the other side of the mountains beautiful location it was at a lodge and it was like a few hundred bucks it wasn't that bad okay it wasn't super crazy and beautiful location view of the mountains i mean it was amazing like like how did you (laughs) like like did they have food already reserved did you figure that out before you started how many times so there was You had three vegetarian meals a day and it was all included. Okay. And the food was amazing. I mean, I would definitely do it again. I mean, it was a great deal. I think it was because we knew the, it was kind of offered to her students at the yoga studio because my understanding, this is, I'm getting a little off topic, but you're asking how expensive it was. It wasn't that bad, but it was sponsored in part by, I think she knew someone who wanted to invite their like corporate team mm. and they, I think paid, they, they couldn't fill up the plate. They had like a couple extra slots. Gotcha. And I think that was partly why we got such a good deal, but yeah, it was amazing. But one day you asked what else I learned about being silent is that you realize that language is this very imperfect net for describing things. You know, you have these experiences, you know, words are just symbols they're just they're you're never quite able to say what you mean there you have these experiences you have these raw experiences and then let's say something crazy happened to you today and you want you come home and you want to tell your girlfriend about it well 
you're not able to convey what happened really those you're you're painting you're doing your best to paint a picture but those words are just symbols right mm-hmm. they're just they're dead and your raw experience of things if you can separate that from language or if you can sit there and really be mindful of it it's extremely rich just moment to moment mm-hmm. minute to minute yeah and yeah so do you, do you find that yeah. in you know because you're also you know, a very talented producer and you've been producing stuff. You actually produced the intro to the podcast. I did. Yeah. I was, I was so thrilled that you asked uh, if you could use that track. Of yeah. Course, I, love man. It. I appreciate you uh, allowing me to use it, man. And, um, you know, do you find yourself also in that state somewhat similar to the silent retreat when you're like just listening to music? Because most of the, you know, most of the music that I've, I've seen you produce, um, is non-lyrical, you know, it's just straight right. beats, mm-hmm. kind of like a house tempo as well, which just invites you to sit in a trance, you know, is that, is that what you're going for? Sure. Um, what am I going for? I'm trying to express something. Are, are, is your question, do I go into a meditative state when I make music? I would say at its, I would say Music production is you're you're making little decisions all the time. It's all about little decisions. Do I like this sound? Do I like that sound? What's the mood here? What's the emotion? And I I would say, especially so on Instagram, when I'm posting these sketches, it's more of an act of discovery Mm. where I sit down, okay, I'm going to make a sketch. I'm going to make something short. I'm going to explore some new territory what am I, what's the energy here? Is it high energy? Am I, am I feeling good? Am I happy right now? Do I need something a bit more somber? Am I feeling like a, like a hip hop rhythm? Sometimes I'll make hip hop beats, uh, like the intro to your, to your podcast. Am I feeling like I want to dance? So all of that goes into when I sit down and I haven't even opened up the program yet, I'll usually think, okay, do I, I want, I want like a nice smooth texture to this synthesizer. I'm going to, or I'll be like, oh, I want to start with guitar. I'm going to start with guitar today. I want an electric guitar sound, or I want an acoustic guitar sound. But I would say this, the, the tracks kind of reveal themselves to me as I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not very meditative. If you, at, at the best of times, you're going into a flow state. Mm-hmm. there's a really good book called flow by an author whose name is impossible to pronounce. I don't know if you've, you've come across it. I've come across it's, the book. I, I'm not even going to attempt recall the name of the author, but yeah, it's, it is an impossible. The last name's like five syllables long, but the book is called flow and it's about the psychology of optimal experience. And I would say it has some things in common with meditation where I mean, you're an attorney, right? So have you ever found, and you're, and you're an expert, you're, 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 and you're a defense attorney, right? I practice defense. Yes. So, so, so have you ever, and I'm sure this happens where you're working on a, the the whole theory behind flow is that a flow state, which is this very desirable state that you feel when you're working on something, you get into this flow state where time is kind of moving fast and slow at the same time. And it's the work is hard, but it's rewarding and your ability, it's like just beyond your abilities, but you're, you're doing it. Right. You know, 
And whether it's, whether it's with podcasting or whether it's, you know, as an attorney where you, you're, let's say you have a really difficult case and I'm just kind of making it up for you, but you have a really tough case and you have, you think you can put together a good, a good defense, but you're sitting there racking your brain. It's hard, but you're doing it and you're up to the challenge. It's harder than maybe you've ever done, but you can do it. And I think that at its best is the state that I'm in when I'm making music where there's a certain, Oh, it's missing something. What's it missing? And I just hours vanish and it's been four hours. And at the end of it, I'm very happy with it is ideally what's going on in a flow state. A lot of times it's, it's, I'm not super happy with it, but yeah. But you know, you know, the interesting concept of the flow state is that it can be controlled. Like you can actually set yourself up in a way where you can encounter this flow state. Right. Um, So I think, just to bring back the yeah. example that you brought as a defense attorney, like you can be in a flow state when you're, you know, doing an oral argument or whenever you're at trial and you're giving mm-hmm. your closing argument. If you know, if you're really immersed in the work, right, and you just right. feel like you know it, and you know you can, you have all these open, you know, you have all these tabs that you can open in your mind, and you just flow with mm-hmm. it, right? Uh, that, and it's enjoyable. And it's super enjoyable because it's there and mm-hmm. don't really leave too much room for anxiety. It's more like it's there mm-hmm. and, and you just keep going. You just keep going, you know, and, and you know, uh, some of it is like confidence because you're in this flow state and nothing can kind of like deter you from it, but you have to put yourself there, right? So everyone has to know um, you know, how to get themselves into that flow state. And would you say for you, mm-hmm. uh, getting yourself into that flow state is is through music, through, you know, because I see, I see like what you do, um, you know, you like, you literally look like you're just going ham in your, in your apartment. <laughs> you know, it's like you're just losing yourself, like your, like your hair is everywhere, yeah. you know, and, it is. you know, these beats are like super like intense and you're just like doing it. You know, is that mm-hmm. is that you putting yourself in a in, in a flow state? You know, because it seems like you put yourself in that, and then it just comes to you. But this is coming from somewhere, right? This is coming from like years of of you doing this kind of work, right? Like you know mm-hmm. that okay, if I incorporate this instrument, it's going to give it this kind of a sound. You know, I see that you have two guitars back there. If I play the guitar when yeah. the beat drops, it's going to give it that kind of sound, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're able to pull from a wealth of like experience to get into that flow. Well, I think that's, I think that you, you absolutely nailed a key part of, of flow state, which is you're not really getting into that state unless you've kind of built the foundation with developing different skills, right? Mm-hmm. So you just listed as a, as a defense attorney, all these different tabs you can open. Well, where did that come from? It comes from experience, comes from studying the law. Right. You've had similar cases in the past. Maybe you, you, maybe, you know, that you're getting a feeling from this judge. Maybe I can try this tactic. Right. And that only comes with experience and honing your skills. And so I don't want to sit here and pat myself on the back because I still have a lot to learn as a producer, but Yeah, I've been making music. I've been making electronic music for, I started in 2008. So I've been making in one way or another since 2000, so uh, for 12 years. And 
yeah. So if I listen to my old productions, I hate them. They're te- I don't like them. My, my very earliest stuff, it's bad, but everyone starts somewhere. Just like I'm sure if you read your earliest briefs from law school, right. you wouldn't like them very much. But you build that foundation, and then it, when you're faced with a – you can set harder and harder challenges for yourself. And if your skills are up to the challenge, it's it can be very enjoyable. Right. So – yeah, you're, there, there's really two components to it. So when I sit down to make a sketch, so in, in fact, I uh, I started making today's sketch, and I, I'm gonna record it after after we get done uh, talking to each other. But there's really two components. So I'm deciding what the energy is going to be, and I'm deciding um, how I want it to sound, and I put it all together, and then I have my my MIDI controller, it's called an Ableton push. And that's how I control the song. So I'm triggering different samples. I'm triggering different scenes I'm layering on effects. I am creating building tension and then releasing the tension. And that they're, they're two very different tasks, but you're right. I'm definitely going into a flow state. Mm. I feel like that's probably very evident when in my sketches because I'm not sitting there counting measures. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know when it's been eight bars. I know when it's been 16 bars. Mm-hmm. I know you can feel, I can feel when it's time to build tension. And because I've done the practice, I don't have to ask myself, what knob is that? Mm-hmm. I just, you just reach for the, you just reach for it, you know? Right, right. Just like you're standing in the courtroom and, you have to reach for this defense. You don't even have to ask yourself what, what procedural tactic am I using? Exactly. You're just, it's just coming to you. You've built the foundation. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so definitely, definitely that's something that I, I strive for. Sometimes you, it's not a flow state. Sometimes you're working on something and it's just too hard and it feels hard. You feel the difficulty and you're just grinding away at it. So I would not say it's all, you know, lollipops and rainbows. A lot of times I'm sitting there. Why can't I get this to sound right? This sounds like trash. Right. You're like I said, so it's not really a meditative thing. Cause you're sitting there making decisions constantly. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of thinking. Right. And I think that meditation is, is very, my, my understanding of meditation is very thoughtless. It's very kind of empty. Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, if you're, if you're thinking, then the ego is involved. Right. It's kind of my, that's how I think about it. Right. So, do yeah. you do you draw inspiration from a specific emotion, which is usually whether it's existential, whether it's uh, you know, whether it's sad, whether whether it's like uplifting? Like, where do you see yourself like drawing the most inspiration from? What emotion from do you a specific tap into? emotion? That's interesting. I run the gamut. I think that's a really interesting question. I think my mood or the em- my mood going in kind of sets the foundation. So my most popular track on Spotify and Apple music, it's called lift. And this is a song that I made uh, in the depths of in the middle. I started making it during the George Floyd protests and I started making it, uh, you know, during the pandemic, obviously. And I, I made it to cheer myself up. Mm. I felt really just down about 
the world. I'm, I'm worried, you know, my parents are in their sixties. I'm worried about them. I'm worried about, you know, my two brothers. I'm worried about my wife. I'm worried about, you know, I don't want to get sick. So I'm worried about that. I'm worried about our country. I'm worried about the economy. I'm, you're just like, you're, you're just like, there was a time you just feel how much worse can it get? And you're like, I need to cheer myself up. So that was very much coming from a mood of hopelessness, but the, the goal of the song is kind of a, an antidote mm-hmm. to that, to kind of lift, lift me up. And, and I, that the song is called lift. So it has a very determined triumphant, maybe triumphant's the wrong word. Yeah. It has a very kind of determined energy to it and a very kind of positive energy that I still, I'll still, I made it for myself. I mean, if I don't like my own music, then why would I put it in front of other people? You know, I'll, if I feel in a bad mood, like I will, I'll put it on for myself. Cause I just like, it makes me feel good. Right. And likewise, uh, yeah, different, different moods and energies call for different songs and some, you know, I think music is one of the ways that we regulate our moods. Mm -hmm. It's an important way that we regulate our moods. And sometimes I've noticed this, if I'm feeling like really depressed, I won't even want to listen to music because I'm just like in this Mm -hmm. space, but music can really pull you out of it. Yeah. A lot of the time. For sure. For sure. Um, Yeah. But in general, I wouldn't say I make, I, I, yeah, I try and tap into lots of different emotional energy. So it, it really depends. I've had, you, you know, our, our good friend, Anthony, uh, Sylvester, Tony Sly, uh, cuts that flow and a couple Tony Sly and uh, a couple other filmmakers have used my music. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin Lopez, Lopez, they've used my music in, in, uh, some of their films. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, I, I, filmmakers have connected with my music because I think it evokes emotion, right. or, you know, so I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. And, um, yeah. and, and also like, like, how do you feel, man, when you, when you see like, for example, Kevin using your music and he's uh, putting it in a movie or, uh, you know, Tony Sly's using it, you know, your music and, um, you know, I'm not sure what he's doing with it. He's probably uh, giving them to artists or not giving them, but like selling them to artists or like background for his uh, like short films. Yeah. Because, uh, Anthony, Tony Sly is also doing film, right? Anthony and I, you've, have you seen, you've seen Subtunes, right? The I project haven't. where it's the New York city subway and it's got all the different, you haven't seen that. Okay. So you got to, we did a premiere at Maisel's. Uh, years ago. Oh yes, uh, yes, yes. I remember in Harlem. In Harlem, we did a yes. premiere at Maisel's, yes, 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 and yes. it was all the different projects that Anthony and I have worked on together. Right, 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 right. And a lot of the, a lot of it, you know, Anthony and I first met virtually. He came across my music on YouTube while I was living in Santiago, mm. in Chile, in Chile so back right. in 2011, and we we became pen pals more or less we were just writing our emails just got longer and longer to each other and i have i have an old song that i made called home and he really connected to that song and wanted to cut some footage to it and i was like sure go ahead cut some footage to it and 
it was amazing watching the final product because I felt like he understood me. Mm. It's weird to say, but I felt like he connected so deeply to the song and the energy of the song that he got me. It was very, I was like, wow, this guy's super talented. Mm. This is incredible. Yeah. And so we met for the first time pretty much when I moved to New York Mm. and uh, we worked on a lot of different projects together. So subtunes, is the one is the project we worked on together. That's probably gotten the most traction. It won. This is crazy. He submitted, he submitted subtunes, which it is basically, I got back up. So subtunes, we spent a whole day going around the New York city subways, like in February, I had my field microphone. He had, he had his camera. And the idea was any sound that I got, he would have video footage of. Mm. And, I put together a four part. There's maybe four different kind of songs within the piece. And every single sound that you hear is sampled. There's nothing that I used synthesized all sampled, 100% samples. So if you hear like a kick drum or what sounds like a kick drum, it's either, you know, the train coming to a halt and there's like a thud noise. And I just like put an equalizer on it and made it sound like a kick. Right. Every sound in that is from the New York City subway. So whether it's buskers singing or people playing drums or what have you, you know, announcements overhead. And Anthony got footage of all of it too, and, and a lot of different B-roll. And so we put that together. We got a really good reception in New York uh, and online, and he submitted it to the Rain Dance Film Festival in 2014 which is in London, which is an, it's an Oscar qualifying film festival, which mm-hmm. I didn't know until recently. This is a big film festival. And the organizers reached out to us and asked if we were coming. And we were like, we were like, well, no, but they didn't tell us we won. So we won, we won best music video at this film festival in 2014. And like, we weren't, we weren't there. Wow. It was like, I saw footage of the event later. I'm like, we should have gone, man. Yeah. That would have been amazing. This was a huge event. I didn't know that. And I didn't know you guys won that festival. We won, yeah, we won Best Music Video. And uh, we were just like blown away, actually, but really surprised. And also, cool, We're go- I guess we're going to London. Right. You know, right. but that's, they were just like, hey, are you coming? We're like, no, we live in New York. Like, that's crazy. To Anyway, it was so... That is one of the things we worked on that has gotten a lot of traction. And I know uh, it resonates with a lot of people. It really captures like, what is it like to be on the New York city subway? And there's shot all over it. We were, we were on the train for like 12 hours that day, but it was a ton of fun. It was really, it was a really fun project. And yeah, I love, you know, I love sharing different musical pieces with him because he, does such an excellent job connecting, connecting to the emotional energy and the momentum of the, of the song and really finding visuals that match and, and vice versa. You know, he'll, uh, there's some drone footage that he showed me recently that he said he'd like to cut to one of my songs. And I was like, okay, I think I have a song in mind mm. where the energy kind of matches with the footage that you got. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we, shout, we we have a very kind of shout out to Tony Sly, one of the most talented folks that I know, and yeah, it's good she, to hear that you guys. She are got still him on the podcast together. I yeah. know, I know, he's out there in L.A. now, right? 
in Cali? He is. He is. He's making big moves. Yeah, as yeah. always. As always. He's done, super he did, proud of him. Yeah, it's very inspiring to very inspiring to see. He's he's done IDK videos. He did a Aesop Ferg. I saw that. I saw uh, that. he did a video for. He's done uh Channel Trace. Mm. He's done videos for. I mean, big names. So yeah. he's he's really killing it out there. It's really cool to see. Yeah, for sure, man. Looking forward yeah. to connecting with him really soon. You know, talking about like deal, you know, just working with artists, how do you approach the sensitive task of discussing changes and rearrangements with artists, because I know, you know, sometimes you can be sensitive, not you per se, but like artists, mm-hmm. creators can be sensitive. About <laughs> issues, you know? Personally, I think that if you can't take criticism, then you're going to be a really shitty partner to work with. Right. That's just a fact. If you can't take criticism, if you're going to take it personally, then it's going to be very hard to be honest with you about, I don't mean you personally, the the proverbial you, it's going to be very hard to be honest about what needs to happen to move the project forward. And uh, I'm always, when I'm collaborating with someone, I always, I tell them like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like, in fact, if you tell me everything's perfect, that's not, that's not very helpful because, okay, cool. I mean, if, if you really think everything's perfect, then great that, that my job's done here, but whether it's a piece of writing or a piece of music or a video, you have to, of course, it's important to creators to make something good and they want other people to connect to it. But if you can't take your ego out of the equation, then we get back to the ego again. If you can't take a step back and say, this is something I've made. It's not identical to me. It doesn't define my value as a person. And it would be the height of arrogance to imagine that this is perfect, what I'm handing off to you. If you can't do that, then you're not going to have a fruitful collaboration with someone. And I, you know, back to Tony Sly, I sent him off a very rough draft of of a track yesterday night. And we were actually talking on the phone and I was like, Dude, tell me if, if you don't think this is right for the footage, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Tell me like, I'm fine with that. If you are not connecting with it, like, please tell me like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. And that has to be okay. Like that's part of being a professional. Of course. Right. And it's sort of like, if you, if you, I'm going to reach for the attorney analogy again, if you had a client that was very, not that they would be, but if you had a client that was very upset with the way you were handling their case, you would want to hear it. Of course. You know, like what kind of attorney would you be if you couldn't take criticism? Right. It depends on if it's valid or not, right? right? right. If they're, if but, they're but being still, unreasonable. But still, you but, want to know what their concerns are because at the end of the day, it's their life being affected. Yeah, it, it's a very different – it's like music is music. It's like it's right. completely different right. uh, stakes involved. But uh, vocalist Aniela, I'm very excited about this collaboration. This is my first time working with a vocalist. Uh, Aniela and I met on SoundCloud mm. like seven or eight years ago, found each other's music, and we've just always been in touch. And as I've put myself out there more on Instagram and done some more of that, I'm really, you know, we've I really like the fact that like, you're I, doing that because I know you're pretty, you know. I would describe you as a reserved person and um, the fact that you're putting your, yeah. your, your, your talents out there, I think this is what you need to do, you know? And I think this is, uh, 
you know, I'm, you know, I'm just happy that you're doing it because again, like your music is great, you know, and I'm not saying that because I'm your friend, but you know, I really gravitate towards it. And just because I gravitated towards it, it doesn't mean that it's great, but I really, whenever I share your music, people connect with it. You know, people connect with it, especially the ones that wow. I, you know, especially the ones that, that I personally like, like Lyft is, is obviously one of my favorites. You know, when I heard the intro oh, thank uh, you. for, for the podcast, I was like, bro, I gotta have this. Like, tell me how much, man, <laughs> I gotta have this. What, what was the name of the uh, song for the intro? It's called Seattle. Seattle. It's on SoundCloud. It's it's right. actually not on Spotify. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah maybe I should put it on Spotify. You should. You maybe should. I should. Man, keep um, doing it, brother. Because well, that means a lot to me. Yeah i I have been and i I have been very resistant to putting myself out there as a musician for years and years and years. And it is something maybe maybe a global pandemic had to happen so that I would just come to grips with with the fact that I if I want people to hear my music, I need to do it. And you know, I, I can be a little bit more introverted. So great, I don't have to perform in front of anyone. I'm just be in my right. be at home. Great, exactly. I can still reach thousands of people. Right. So, and you and I, and you know, that's what then, we have in common, right? Because I think, you know, in 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 a different way, but I also shared that sentiment in which, you know, I was very reluctant for whatever reason to like put myself out there and the pandemic produced this mm-hmm. podcast, right? Um, and it's right. kind of like the yard is coming out of the shadows. Right. So, um, but you've been doing this for mm-hmm. a while though. You know, you've been doing this for a while. So, I've been, um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's good. It's, it's refreshing to see you actually come out the shadows. Um, you know, and also. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, well, you know, well, it's, just, like, it's, it's funny. funny. It's I, funny to I, see you, you lose yourself. Cause I don't think I've ever seen you make the beats, make the music. Like before, whenever I would hear your, 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 your stuff, your music, I didn't see, you know, no one, you didn't let anyone into the process and now you are. And it's actually yeah. pretty, pretty interesting to watch, <laughs> you know, because again, it's funny like watching you're me, watching you, me try and dance around. Exactly, right? man. It's like, you're, you know, like your hair is <laughs> flapping all over the damn place, man. Like you're like, you're in it, yeah. you're in it, you know? And I think, and I think yeah. that helps, man. The same way, the same way music videos help certain songs because now you get to visualize mm-hmm. how you should be feeling mm-hmm. right the, the creator of the song is showing you how you should be responding to this song you know so you know i think it works for you man I, that, that means a lot man it's it's funny i i would just you know new york can be a very intimidating place and i think i moved to new york with the vague idea that i was going to get my music out there right. but i didn't have a plan and it's very, it's very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have an EP called insularity. You know, I would just button myself into my apartment and make music just by myself. Mm-hmm. And I would think it was awesome. And then I would just put it on SoundCloud and just not tell anyone about it. Right. Didn't have an Instagram. Very, very resistant to that. So, and I think about <laughs> sometimes all the opportunities that I kind of passed up because I was not I just did not feel comfortable John, putting myself out there. John, it's so. funny that you say that because I'm a big fan of Bryson Tiller's first album. Bryson Tiller, he's a, he, no, he does a lot I'm of um, R and B trap, right? Bryson Tiller. Yeah, Bryson Tiller, his okay. first album 
you know, to me was a classic. And um, he put out his classic hit on SoundCloud, which was called uh, Don't, right? And he mm-hmm. he was working at a fast food restaurant at the time. And he put it out on SoundCloud, mm-hmm. I think it was, or, or one of those platforms. And then he second-guessed himself and he removed it. I'm not sure if it was like after mm-hmm. a few hours or a couple of days. Okay. But he removed it. And yep. someone reached out to him. You know, and was like, bro, like, what are you doing? Why did you take that off? Put it back. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So he put it back and, you know, next thing you know, he blew up, you know, and I say blew up. People started mm-hmm. listening to his music. Obviously, uh, people started becoming fans as a result of that. But, uh, but yeah, man, you just got to put your shit out there, man, and let it, let it breathe. Let it breathe life, you know? Yeah. People, people will gravitate towards it. Yeah. You know, especially especially well, it's, with it's, the yeah. amount of work that you put into it. Like you're just not putting out bullshit, you know? And even wow, if you are <laughs> and even if you are, you know, that opens you up to like criticism. And like you said, you know, that's a great thing as well. So, you know, I don't think it's a but still, like it's really mm-hmm. just putting it out there, whether it's, you know, you know, put you know, having your friends come in, give you an honest opinion, you know, giving them like a listening show. So let me ask you this. Um, when it comes to the work that you do, right? Is there is there someone out there that you're that you look at them and you're like, damn, I like how they get into their flow state. I like how they just create beautiful, uh, whether it's introspective, whether it's uplifting music. Like, who is mm-hmm. someone out there that you would love to emulate, or that just straight up inspire you? It's a short list, but the, but it's a very like. Uh, like it's an awesome list mm. in my objective opinion. Um, I love Jamie XX. Mm. Have you heard of the band, the XX? I, I, you know, I haven't, so the, but maybe I'm just having, I'm writing this down XX. Okay. Yeah. Jamie. So, so Jamie XX makes electronic music. Uh, it's outstanding. It's very cross genre it doesn't stick to a simple, not a simple, but like a single subgenre. So I feel like electronic music is very uh, balkanized. And by that, I mean like, it's like, Oh, what kind of, what kind of house do you make? Is it progressive house? Is it progressive trance? Is it techno? Is it, you know, and I, I think that people get boxed into these sub, sub, sub genres and, I, for me at least, maybe I don't have the discipline to do it, but it, it hamp- I feel like it hampers my creativity to to just make music within a very small sound. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. So Jamie XX, he makes dance music, but it's very outside the box. It's very. It could be fast. It could be slow. Right. Could be sampled. Could be synthesizers. There could be singing on it. It's and yet he has a very cohesive sound. I would put uh, Fortet is another artist I love. Fortet is very similar in 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 the sense that their 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 music has a cohesive sound, but they're not kind of hostage to this like subgenre fetish that electronic music seems to have. Uh, I would put Flying Lotus in that category. I am a humongous fan of his early work, in particular. I love uh, Los Angeles is his LP. That's just, I have that on vinyl. It's like, I'll listen to that front to back. It's amazing. 
Uh, Cosmogramma is another one. So he started out as a producer, just he made beats. That's what he did. He made instrumental hip hop beats. And that stuff you can't find on uh, Spotify or SoundCloud as far as I know. But I, I have, over the years, I've obtained it from from one way or another. He has these beat tapes that he would make. That was just like instrumental hip hop, right. you know, like lo-fi hip hop. Right. And over time, he evolved into someone who is making all different kinds of music. He has songs on Cosmogramma that could be house tracks. He has songs that could be maybe mid-tempo. He's, in, he's got uh, songs that almost sound like free jazz, you know. Right. He produced a couple songs on Kendrick Lamar's on uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. I think he has a, oh. a track or two on there. Uh, Damn. so I would, I would yeah, be flying, flying Lotus. Yeah. I would be interested to know which song. Cause that, that whole album was ridiculous. So, so soulful. Oh, I, I'm a humongous, right. I'm a humongous Kendrick Lamar fan, but yeah. to pimp a butterfly is like, uh, Ooh, it looks like I went blurry on you. Let's see if I can fix that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm blurry. Yeah, uh, yeah, you've been was, you've been blurry uh, for a while, see, but uh, you know that's you know have I? Yeah, yeah, but that's virtual. Maybe maybe it's different. Maybe it's different on your end. You know, once once you upload it, there we go on on your end. But um, but that's interesting. There we go. So so um, let me ask you this, man. What's what is the end goal for you? Like, are you wanting to be affiliated with a label? Like, are you just okay with just like putting your stuff out there? Uh, do you want to develop this, grow this, maybe leave your, your you know, I, I know you're a, a writer as well, you know, a financial writer, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. That's my day job. So this yep. is probably a bit more, more entertaining, right? More, more, more fun, I would say, you know, but uh, would you want to do this full time? You know, just music? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. So you asked about a label, you asked about, uh, you know, where do I want to take this? If a label helps me spend more time doing this, then I'm, then yeah. Okay. If going around touring helps me do more of this, great. Mm. If l- licensing my music to movies or TV shows helps me do more of this, great. If, um, you name it, if what I'm doing right now gets me in that direction and I'm just uploading it to streaming services and hoping that that helps, you know, grow my listenership, then great. I'll do that too. I think, I think right now those are all kind of means to an end. I'm definitely, I would be very open to, to working with a label if, you know, I mean, what does a label do anymore these days? Right. It's, it's fundamentally it's prestige and promotion. If they have a huge reach and they're really willing to put themselves behind my music, then I'm, then I'm all for it. Right. You know, I obviously don't want to give up creative control. And I think you hear a lot about that. Right. Um, I would hate to be, I would hate to find myself in a position where I've signed with a label and I, I get really excited about this new song I've made. And they're like, yeah, that's not your sound. You're going to do this other thing. Right. I, I hate that idea because that takes all the fun. That takes all the joy out of it. You know, right. it's why I do it in the first place, but yeah, absolutely. I think long-term I want to connect with more people who connect with my music, which has been incredible on Instagram or, and 
you know, across other platforms, but it's just, it's been incredible to have people reach out and be like, Hey man, I've been listening to your song on repeat today. Like really like that just, it makes me feel like so good to be able to find listeners who connect with it. Um, to be able to continue working with creative people, talented people. I didn't, I didn't finish uh, talking about talking up our new release. So night sky featuring Aniela is out new year's Eve. It's a house. It's a house tune Mm. and featuring very talented vocalist. And it was an absolute pleasure working with her. And I think we'll be collaborating in the future, but yeah, if I can, if I can continue to broaden my reach and grow my audience, and if that opens the door to collaborating with more artists that I admire, that would be amazing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, cool. I think that, I think that all those things are on the table right now. So where, where can we find Definitely. you, man? Where can we find you? You can find me on all streaming platforms. We're talking Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal. Uh, YouTube, uh, John Alpine. You can find me on Instagram at John Alpine. And where else? I guess that's it. But yeah, if you Google John Alpine, you'll find me. J O N A L P I N E. J O N, no H. There we John go. Alpine. Yeah. My brother. Always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure talking to you. This has been a real treat, man. You know, we've known each other eight years now. That's crazy. Think about that. Crazy. I was talking to Tony Sly yesterday. I was like, you know, I've known, we've known each other for eight years. It feels like I just met you in a way, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, you know, let's, let's always good to reconnect with an old friend. Toast to another eight years, brother. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here's to eight more. Eight more. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was a treat. Peace. All right.